Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burt, and I'm so excited that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation, New Jersey. And so uh, uh, we've been in a series we've called The Beautiful Mess, and we're taking a journey uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 12 through 20 this morning. But before we get there, I, I want to frame it up with a, with a little story, if I could. And so uh, uh, here's what you need to know. is my wife, Susan, she is the car person in the house, Okay. I do not get a say in the house uh, uh, as far as cars go, okay? Uh, made a couple of bad decisions, and she's been holding it against me uh, for all these years now. So Susan chooses what car we buy, what not. Uh, we actually own two cars, and if you're uh, inquiring as to which car is mine, whichever one she lets me drive, all right? <laughs> and so uh, my wife, is she's unbelievably particular, too, about, like, it has to be clean and, and all this kind of stuff. And as well, she's particular about the gas that gets put in. Like, she insists you have to put 93 octane uh, in the gas. And um, myself, um, I consider myself frugal. She thinks I'm cheap, but I'm like, hey man, we're going to put the cheap gas in. And my wife just isn't having it. So uh, so uh, anyways, I, I'm, I'm driving the car uh, to, to gas it up. I only have 20 bucks on me. So I'm like, listen, I don't care. I'm putting cheap gas in the car. And then if you could just see in my mind, I got this inner turmoil between, I know she's going to ask me, I know she's going to ask me, I know she's going to ask me, right? And so um, I'm like, oh, I, I still don't care. Uh, I pull up, undo the window, the gas attendant comes, I'm like, hey man, uh, uh, fill it up uh, uh, 87, $20 worth uh, of the cheap stuff. And the gas attendant stops. He looks at me and he says, this is a nice car. You shouldn't put cheap gas in it. <laughs> I was rebuked uh, by the gas attendant, okay? And so uh, I say all that to say this. See, he said, man, you shouldn't put cheap gas in a nice car. And uh, I want you to know this morning, you are a very, very nice car. Like some of you, you are nicer than you even imagine. Because God today is going to let us know that if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple of the Holy Spirit doesn't use uh, cheap gas. And so uh, I hope this uh, all makes sense here uh, as we move along. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we're going to uh, start in verse 12. And before we do, I need you to know this is that like Paul is going to start answering some questions specific to the Corinthian church. And, and the Corinthians, uh, actually, Paul is going to be accused of being antinomian. Uh, antinomian just means, it means anti-against, uh, nomos law. And so the, he, the, he's going to be accused of being uh, saying that, hey, because of the cross, man, just anything goes. Uh, a lot of times today we can call it greasy grace. That man, because Jesus went to the cross, I'm just going to live how I want, sin whenever, and I guess the blood of Jesus will have to cover that. And, and it's just not true. It was a perversion of Paul's gospel of grace. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 
Paul says, uh, now he's quoting uh, the Corinthians, all things are lawful me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so this was the cry of the Corinthians. Hey, now all things are lawful for me. And so I'm just going to live and do whatever I want. And Paul says this, all things may be lawful, but not everything is helpful. So the great uh, philosopher, theologian, uh, G.K. Chesterton, uh, he, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said this, he says, before you tear down a fence, it's best if you ask the question, why was that fence there in the first place? Right. And so so there could be uh, like you, you rip down a, a fence that it, it appears to be an obstruction when in reality it might very well just be for your protection. And so we need to be careful before we start tearing down all these boundaries uh, and, and things in our that God places in our life for our protection. So um, like I don't think you can argue this, but in our world today that that any kind of boundary or restriction put on an individual, man, we're going to cry, oh, my liberty, my freedom, you're trying to oppress me, and like all this kind of stuff. And it's just not true. All right. And so not all boundaries uh, are bad and not all restrictions are, are bad. So, so for example, when, um, when I, w- I was playing for the Hartford Whalers and, and so uh, uh, my daughter and my wife were up in one of the, the luxury suites uh, up in the Hartford arena and my infant daughter, she was just kind of barely learning how to walk and stuff like that. She, so from the in top of this luxury box, she started tumbling down the stairs and I can't begin to tell you how glad I was that there was a boundary at the top of the luxury box so that my daughter didn't spill over uh, onto the arena floor, right? Boundary was a very, very good thing. Um, maybe you've, uh, have you ever driven in a third world country before? Like, like there's just, there's no rules, no lanes, no limits, right? And what is it? It's absolutely terrifying uh, and it is just unsafe, right? See, boundaries, uh, laws, lanes uh, can be very, very helpful uh, for you personally and for human flourishing in general. And so the moral law of the Ten Commandments, uh, while we aren't justified by it, we are actually justified uh, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. While we're not justified by the moral law, Paul's going to insist, man, the moral law is still good. It's still a great way to live for human flourishing and to honor and glorify God in the earth. And so, so when, when God says, do not lie, he's not doing it to flex because I said so. <laughs> no, uh, because if, if you tell the truth, it's good for human flourishing and you're good. So I, uh, my, my parents will, will amen me on this. So I'm a daddy of daughters. Uh, if you do have young daughters, prepare yourself for this because I promise you it will happen. So uh, my wife, she goes to the mall and I'm, I'm watching my, my, my youngest daughter and uh, or my, no, she's my only daughter at the time is Cassie. And, and so she's in there. And, and so I, I may or may not have been watching ESPN and lost her momentarily. <laughs> so then I went look, looking for my baby girl and uh, I found my baby girl in the bathroom with a pair of scissors and has this enormous hunk of hair chopped out of her uh, uh, bangs. <laughs> I was like, did you cut your hair? And she looks at me, hair on the ground, scissors in hand. 
Nope. <laughs> How do we know she was going to make it much worse for herself? Uh, so, but I, I really can't judge her too much because then when my wife came home and, and she asked me, talking to me like I was the infant kid, uh, were you watching TV instead of watching your daughter? And when I said, nope. <laughs> so, but, but we could see, see this, that man, do not lie. To, to tell the truth, uh, it's, it's good for human flourishing. That, that the Ten Commandments, uh, listen, it, it's not God flexing, but it's God wanting to create boundaries in the world that will lead you into the best life possible. And so when, when God says, uh, hey, hey, don't sleep with another man's wife, it'll be better for you and for them. He's going to say this, hey, don't covet other people's things. Why? Because it's going to be better for you and better for other people. Hey, don't kill other people, right? It's good, but it's going to be good for you and good for human flourishing. And so I think the big idea we need to know is that that grace, it doesn't make sin safe. Like there's still consequences uh, for sin. In fact, uh, the book of Titus says this, that grace, it actually teaches us to say no to sin and to say yes uh, to God. And so grace, it's going to free you and I, uh, not just to not sin, but to love righteousness. We're going to have the freedom to love righteousness. Uh, let me, uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Remember, Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful me for me, but I will not be dominated by any, anything. And so uh, Paul is insisting, you need to be careful for some things that you allow into your life because it, it can dominate you or master you. And so there, there are good things, if used wrongly, can become very, very bad things. So we have uh, like medicine. Medicine is a good thing, but there's warning labels on it. Uh, there's dosage suggestions in it. Why? So you can use it for good. And so, so two Tylenol, uh, you can use that and it might relieve pain in your life. But, but you take the entire bottle and that might, inf it's gonna inflict pain on your life. And so, so good things, used wrongly uh, can cause an extreme amount of pain, sorrow, and suffering. And so good things become dangerous when they're taken out of the way uh, God designed them to use, uh, to be used. And so food, food is a very, very good thing. And all God's people said, come on, amen. Like food's amazing. Like how, how good is God that, that food tastes? Like, like, you know, he could have just given us some like the matrix and plugged us into some primordial goo and, and that's how he got energy. But no, he injected food with, with colors and flavors and when you mix them together in different ways. How many know like, like lava cake? Have you had this? Like hot fudge lava cake? Glory to God. It'll make you speak in tongues when you eat that thing. Shalabaka, right? And, and so lava cake is a gift from God. But to sit... And, and consume 10 lava cakes, how I many know oh, that that's not a good thing? And, and you're going to harm yourself and dishonor God. And so it, it's when a, you take a good thing given by God and you use it in the wrong way. How I many know oh, that, that wine is good? Like, like the scripture would say that God gives a man wine to make his heart merry, right? But too much wine, what? It leads to, to alcohol, alcoholism and drunkenness which God calls a sin. And the reason why it does is because uh, when you're, you're well, moving drunkenness, you're gonna harm yourself and you're gonna harm other people. Um, money is good. 
Like money is a gift from God. God blesses his people uh, with prosperity. Uh, but um, the love of money, Paul's going to say this, it is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't love it. See, because these things like, like food and alcohol and money, it lends itself to master, like the human appetite and desire. It, it, you can be, be, um, be enslaved uh, by these things if you're not handling them, uh, paying attention to the warning signs or the warning labels that God gives how to use these things. And so probably the most obvious uh, of God's good, gracious gifts, um, but you need to be careful how you use it, is sex. Like, like sex is a good gift from Almighty God. And did you know this? It's God's idea. Like, like did you know that in your Bible, there's a book called the, uh, the Song of Solomon, and it celebrates God's gift of sex between a man and a woman. It's God's idea, and a good one at that. So sex is this powerful thing that can lead to flourishing. Like we know this, I mean, sex leads to procreation. And how amazing is our God that, that to replenish the species um, that God allowed us to have sex, this thing that is beautiful, wonderful, loving, feels good. Um, you know, he could have just, we could have had like reproduced like the gremlins, right? You remember that movie where man just, if water falls on a gremlin, it, it, it reproduces and duplicates itself. <laughs> I mean, how good good is God. But, but you know, sex is not just given for procreation. That God in his goodness, that he gives sex for pleasure. Like, like it's like a, a man and a woman in the context of marriage. God says, enjoy yourself. Enjoy one another. And I need to make something plain and clear. Like, like if, if you're a member of Every Nation New Jersey and you, you're a husband and a wife, your marriage needs to be very Pentecostal. Lots of laying on hands and tongues, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, and, and, and finally, I'll, I'll just say this, is that, uh, do you know that, that sex is designed by God for oneness? So please don't make me draw a diagram or anything like that. But physiologically, do you know that when you and your spouse uh, are intimate with one another, that these hormones get released in your body? It's the bonding hormone. It, it literally is stitching the two of you together in your souls. Like, um, and so it, it's, it's a way you strengthen your marriage, oneness. Now do you see how damaging it is when you get outside of the marriage covenant and then you sleep around with all these people? You lose your ability to, to become one, to be sticky with another individual because you're training yourself not to. And so sex is this beautiful, powerful, wonderful thing. But when taken out of God's design for it, man, it can become unbelievably harmful and destructive. And so we'll, we're going to read about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 14. Paul says this, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Remember from last week, that's the word pornea. Uh, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And so, so the Corinthians were basically saying this, Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Or, or in other words, they're saying, hey, if you're hungry, eat. If you're horny, then you fill in the blank. Um, and and I, I wasn't saying that to be crass. This was their declaration. 
hey, it's it's just like sex is just some physical act. It, it doesn't. It's nothing deeper than that. And when you're hungry, you eat. So why not just you know when you're turned on, why not just have sex? It's it's just a bodily function, a physical act. Um, and our culture believes this today, and it's just not true. Like um, if it's just a, if if sex is just a physical act between two bodies. Then, then why is adultery so devastating and so hard to get over? Like, listen, there, there's there's other sins in the Ten Commandments. Like, if, if someone lies to you, you know, I think you can get over that. Someone steals from you, I think you can get over that. But adultery, like that, that, that may take decades, if ever, to recover from. Um, how about this, like like uh, victims of sexual assault, Do you know, f- uh, which uh, which for the record is is one in six women uh, here in the United States, and so victims of sexual assault, uh, when the physical injuries have healed, uh, is the person well? Are you kidding me? Like no, there's there's soul trauma uh, that that may take a therapy and years and years to finally get healed from. And so to say that sex is just a physical act is to, to belittle victims uh, of um, sexual assault. Just to say, ah, it's no big deal. There's just two bodies. You should be fine, right? Uh, it's unbelievably belittling. And so, um, see, the Hebrew language uh, has several words for the word love. And for this, this sexual, intimate, like erotic love, um, the Hebrews use the word dode, dode. And one of its meanings can be this, the mingling of souls. See, in the Hebrew mind, they knew uh, that that sex was much more than a physical act. It was the the mingling uh, of souls. And so sex is powerful. It's it's like fire. It can warm your home or it can burn the place down. And so that's the reason why God puts barriers around it. Like like we we put fire in a fireplace so it can warm our home, but it stays in, the, uh, in its context. And you take it out of the fireplace and it can burn it down. And so uh, uh, as Americans, we decided in the 1960s that we were gonna take sex out of the fireplace, out of the context of marriage between a man and a woman, and it's been burning our world down ever since. So, um, so the promise of the sexual revolution was was utopia, man, freedom, and all it's done is just harm the lives of women and children. Like, like women were promised freedom, and, and instead now they're being uh, harmed, objectified. That 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 children, like the family, is is been destroyed uh, by the sexual revolution. And you know who gets off scot free? Dudes, horny men. Uh, that, that just have, now they have no responsibility, can have just all kinds of sex without uh, uh, the repercussions of the consequences or the responsibility of being a husband and a dad. Did you know this? In 1965, uh, 7.7% uh, of children were uh, born to unwed mothers. Uh, now, in 2020, that thing skyrocketed up to 40.5% of the children born are born to unwed mothers. And the reason why I mention that, see, is because the men are having sex, women are getting pregnant, and then they're like, well, hey, good luck for that. You you go get a job, you provide for that kid. I'm, I just wanted to use your body, uh, and I'm out of here. And, and it's wrong, and it's sinful. And, and as well, like, like for our children, you know that the number one indicator uh, for, for par- poverty 
uh, incarceration, illiteracy, uh, all these these human things is is fatherlessness. And so whether or not there's a father in the home is going to determine a ton of stuff. And the sexual revolution has allowed men uh, to run away from their responsibility. Uh, in fact, in the uh, in the Washington Post, I referenced this several months back. But the uh, the uh, if you know the the Washington Post, it's a very progressive newspaper, all right. And so uh, in, in this particular article, uh, it was uh, it, it was uh, t- entitled "Consent Is Not Enough. We Need a New Sexual Ethic." And so the author was saying that that all these promises of the sexual revolution uh, has not served us well. That, that women uh, in sex, they're having sex, but they don't feel safe and it feels cheap. And so, so the author, she's, she's championing uh, a new sexual ethic that she's saying there's certain things like not just consent, but there's other things that need to be added um, to the sexual relationship. And here's what she says. There needs to be mutual responsibility. She said there needs to be mutual love. She says that there, there needs to be mutual uh, listening to one another. And when I hear all that, it sounds an awful lot like marriage to me. <laughs> and so, see, see we, we're realizing, oh, when we took the fire out of the fireplace, it's just not working. And so I, I'm going to close this part of the conversation with this, is I'll let the, the, the Washington Post uh, uh, make my defense for me. Like the Washington Post is lining up with Paul and the Bible. Uh, the article says this, uh, sex, even when it goes well, sex is complicated. It involves our bodies, our minds and emotions, our connections to each other and our deepest selves. Despite uh, the many and popular arguments that it's only a physical act, it is clear to almost anyone who has had it that sex has vast consequences, some of which can last long after an encounter ends. See, sex is much more uh, than a physical act, but it's spiritual, doed a mingling of souls. Uh, let's continue reading uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 15 to 20. Paul, uh, Paul's going to drive this point home. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. I love that. Like normally Paul's saying, stand against the devil, uh, fight the good fight of faith. When it comes to sexual sin, he says, flee from sexual immorality. He says, uh, every other sin uh, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, bought with a price. And the appeal of Paul is glorify God in your body. So uh, we just uh, recently had our our, uh, harvest festival here at church. And so we had all the the kids get together and they got in their costumes and whatnot. And it instantly reminded me of of several years ago, uh, we did a children's harvest festival and 
And so we wanted to have some background music uh, during the event, and so I offered up my, my iPod and put it on a playlist, and I mixed it up. I, I, I didn't want to have like all Hillsong or something like that because I, I knew we would have uh, unbelievers in there. So I wanted to have a mix of, of, of kind of worship songs and then throw in some, some you know, top 30 or whatever, top 50 songs. Uh, but, uh, and so you can imagine my horror uh, when, when the songs are shuffling and then a Gavin DeGraw song comes on. It's on my playlist. Really like the song. Until midway through the song, I'm like, oh my gosh, he swears in it. And so I just I just make a beeline for that that playlist. I, I jump on that 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 iPod. I'm like grenade, right? And I need to shut that thing off because I'm like I don't need Gavin DeGraw letting like and it was a real low level curse word, right? But but I'm like in the presence of innocence. Um, and purity of a child. Suddenly something that, man, I, I didn't even kind of remember was there. Suddenly it becomes uh, exponentially uh, more vile, uh, more offensive. Why? Because I'm, I'm in the presence of innocence. And do you know in the same way that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are in the presence of ultimate purity. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. Glorify God in your body. And so, uh, you know, it appeased me with this. Like, did, did you know that that uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, in creation, that, that God was creating for himself uh, this cosmic temple, if you will. The name Eden means delight. And God creates this delightful place, this sacred space uh, where, where heaven and earth are knit together where God uh, and man can be together. Uh, it's a convergent space. And, and then, do you know that, that in temples, there, there's always images of the deity. But in this cosmic temple of Eden, the, the, we are uh, Adam and Eve are the image bearers of God, our deity. Um, and, and so Adam and Eve walk with God in this delightful place called heaven, this cosmic temple until... Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin against God, and they're kicked out of Eden, kicked out of the temple of God. But God in his infinite grace and mercy, he, he, he makes a way for convergent space in the earth, for sacred space, where, where man can meet with God. And so for, for Moses, he gave the tabernacle. Uh, for Solomon, uh, then he would give the temple. And this would be sacred space, convergent space, where heaven and earth would meet, and God could meet with man. Um, and so now, now um, see, let me show you a slide. I believe we have a, a slide of it coming up here. And, and so did you know that, that, that the temple and the tabernacle, they were designed to look like the cosmic temple of Eden. Like they were designed to look like Eden. And so uh, uh, Eden had these concentric um, uh, squares, if you will, leading to the center, the tree of the knowledge of life, or, or the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree uh, of life. And so it had the sea, then the dry land, then the land of Eden, then the garden of Eden, and the tree of life in the middle. And so in the same way, the temple and the tabernacle, it, it had the, the land of Israel, uh, uh, the courtyard, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. It's the place where the presence of God dwelt. And in the holy of holies, in the center of the center, 
uh, one man was allowed to enter into that space one time a year to make atonement for sins. Um, that isn't until the prototypical man, the great high priest, Jesus Christ himself, came to the earth. And, and do you remember what was, uh, what was said to Jesus? Uh, they asked him, hey, if you're the Messiah, what is the sign um, that you are the one come to rescue the world? And, and he says this uh, in, in John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. They said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, get this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' body. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies on our behalf. And on the third day, he, he resurrects from the dead. And then he finds his disciples. And in John 20, 22, he says that, it says this, that Jesus breathed on them and said, Now receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this, now their bodies, the disciples' bodies, had become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sacred space, convergent space, where now that God and man can be together. And that's what you and I possess. You are the temple of God. You're God's temple. Glorify God with your body. Like, like the temple to be built, it took enormous amount of wealth. That Solomon's temple, uh, it's estimated in today's dollars, would, have, would cost $150 billion to build. But you, you've been bought with an even greater price. The price of the shed blood of God's one and only Son. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Did you know that the temple, it, it had a specific design to it. Like God said, you're to make it this way and this way exactly. And you know that you have been made specifically. Uh, the psalmist would say, you're beautifully and wonderfully made. So like, like science would tell us that, that you and I, we're made up of 46 chromosomes. 23 from mom, 23 from dad. You know, the odds of you getting these unique, distinct chromosomes, uh, it's, it's this one uh, in 10 million. And then from your dad, it's one in 10 million. And then the, the odds of you getting these specific 46 chromosomes, get this, is one in 100 trillion with a T, all right? So you are one in a hundred trillion. You are uniquely made and fashioned by God to bear his image in the earth. You are the temple of God. And I don't know who this is for this morning, but, but listen, there's some of you, you hate the temple that God's given you. You wish you had somebody else's temple. And I want you to know this, man, God loves you. And God thinks you did a really, really good job. Glorify God with your body. And then I'll end with this. The temple was the place where people would come and they, they, could, they could know, feel, and experience God. And now wherever you go, wherever you live, that people should experience something of Jesus Christ in and through your life. You are the temple of God. Glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we could gather together. Lord, in your name, in Jesus, what a high honor it is. What is man that you'd be mindful of him? And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would stir in your people an awareness 
to know that wherever we go, we bring the glory and the image of God with us. Lord, thank you that that uh, there's there's people that that they'll never uh, uh, read Peter, uh, James, or John, but they're they're going to read you in your life. And so, Lord, give us grace to glorify you in and through our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> amen, every nation. Well, listen, Jesus loves you. I think you're pretty amazing, too. And while the sermon's finished, uh, we're not quite done. I, I want to remind you that you can be faithful in your tithing and your giving. Um, there's three ways that you can uh, give if you'd like to support uh, our ministry. Or if this church is your church, uh, we, we practice the tithe that we believe that that we give a tenth uh, back to Jesus of, of all our income. And we trust that, that Jesus is going to bless uh, the 90% that he allows us to keep. And so uh, there's three ways that you can give. You can go to our website. Uh, encnj.org and just hit the giving icon or you can uh, give via text if you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977 it's a very convenient way to give it's the way my family and I give uh, or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey and may God richly bless you as you give every nation, Jesus loves you I think you're spectacular too. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.